0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: you're listening to the southern outdoorsman podcast
0: make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast you can check us out on facebook instagram and youtube if you'd like to support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman now let's get to the episode
2: presented by hunting exchange a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're talking to a big buck slayer from the lovely state of Arkansas, Mr. BJ Goldman. BJ, how are you doing today, my man? Great. How are you guys doing? Um, Hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit, as Tim Knight would say. Jacob, how are you?
0: I'm doing doing great. Doing doing awesome. So, yeah, doing great. Also, uh, we got uh, the... One and only Thomas Myers, my my younger brother here, the from, one-legged Myers, who actually who actually hunts Arkansas too. So what's going on, bud? Doing good, doing good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he, he's the, uh, what, what's his nickname, Andrew? The One-Legged what? Whoa, One-Legged Wonder? I don't know. Yeah, One-Legged Wonder. Well, yeah, he, he's half crippled right now because he freaking jacked up his ankle, so he's in a cast. Yep. So, yeah, so he he, he ain't going to get any late season or post-rut uh, deer hunting in, which is going to be the topic for this episode with you, BJ. Um, been very excited about this podcast. Actually, you're recommended to us by uh, one of your buddies, Chris, who actually, I think, is sitting there in the room with you, <laughs> which is uh, going to be pretty interesting to kind of see from uh, his perspective. He's going to hear this conversation this interview before this episode actually comes out but uh, Chris recommended you uh, to us I think it was on Patreon um, that we ought to reach out to you and that you weren't on social media but you killed some really big bucks uh, and you you killed them at an interesting time of the year and of course I got on a phone call with you dude and you know you said you'd be willing to come on and after talking to you uh, you know it just saw that your success Uh, especially the last few years uh, post-rut and how that was a time of the season that you had a lot of success with Um, and made for an interesting topic because not many people we talk to in the Southeast really talk about having success post-rut. Uh, which is, again, just super interesting. We've had a lot of requests for it over the last couple weeks uh, that this is a topic that a lot of people have been wanting to hear from. So, uh, BJ, just to kind of kick us off, of course, you know, we know that you're coming in from the great state of Arkansas. uh, But one thing that uh, I guess we'll hit on is, of course, you know, you're hunting a lot of public land. What is your background when it comes to hunting public land in Arkansas? And when did this late season or post-rut uh, mindset really start kicking off for you, where you started focusing on it?
1: Well, I grew up my whole life hunting Arkansas. I mean, I I killed my first deer when I was 14. I'm 36 now, but you know, I grew up hunting all over the state of Arkansas. Then I guess when I picked up the bow, I ain't, I ain't killed a deer with a gun in 15 years. When I picked up a bow and actually really got serious in the hunting, I killed my first deer. When I, once I killed my first deer with a bow, it was over, you know, it was game over then i started digging in public land that's all i I hunted growing up is public land chasing the big bucks you got to get away from pressure and i started killing more bigger bucks later season by spending my rut more or less hunting hunters finding out where the pressure is when i first really got into it it was before you could pull up a topo on a on a map and look Nowadays, everything you pull up on a topo on the public pressured land, you can pretty much throw out the window. You're going to walk in there, you're going to find pressure, you're going to find deer stands, you're going to find where people have been in there, and that's something you got to stay away from. Basically, you, you find a saddle, you find all that, just go away. I mean, stay away. You can hunt trails coming to the saddle from the thickets, but you're going to be right up in the bedding area. Um, your biggest thing is going to be hunting the wind, and to me it's feed trees it's late season feed trees is where it's at and uh very heavy undergrowth i mean not not so much thick trees as thick undergrowth i mean you can some of the places i hunt you can climb up in a tree and i mean it's pretty open up in the tree but the ground is you know that head high nasty hard to get through because the the deer's been pressured all year all year they're going they're going to stay hid They're gonna find the food, they're gonna find where They can, you know, back and forth to their beds from the food and not be seen. I'll spend rut more or less driving around looking and doing observed sets. I will get to where I can see, I mean, my observed sets in the rut, I'm I'm gonna set where I can see yardage. I wanna see far, I mean, I wanna see deer. I wanna see multiple deer. But when it comes time to kill, I wanna be up in there. I mean, I'll spend, pretty much the the biggest part of November, just sitting in trees and observing. And have I got lucky? Yes, I've got lucky. I've had deer come under me and observe sets. But my biggest, going into it, it's not the nasty stuff. How people don't wanna be? I can take you to rock gardens. You wouldn't think deer are on. I mean, nasty, I mean, it's things people overlook is what you're looking for. Because when you get into high-pressure land, you got people coming in from every direction. Nobody pays attention to wind. It's just, and go to things that just don't look promising. I mean, look for the rock gardens. Look for the nasty stuff. Look, I mean, the saddles. Throw them out the window. I mean, it's just stuff you don't think anybody would be in. That being said, you know, you also got to find the feeding area around the nasty stuff. I mean, you got to find the oaks, the just whatever. You can, I mean, the brows, like the little brow shrubs, and and stay, stay hidden, stay, stay in the nastiness. My biggest, one of my big, just look like like nose real grown up nose Like I can't say really a a heel, but like little little high nose with nasty thick on each side, and usually. It has a main trail running across the top of it with some kind of feed tree on top. That being said, most of the bedding around here you, you find on, you know, south side slopes, which that's probably more or less anywhere, south side slopes. And, you know, play the wind right. Never, never walk in where you have a risk. Don't walk in where you have a risk. I mean, if it takes you, you know, one day you can walk in. It's, 100 yards another day you might have to walk in two and a half three miles it's do you want a big deer or not with the pressure you know you get winded one time it, it could be game over and especially if you get winded by a big nanny doe in that one one area then i think that's about the worst deer you can get winded by i mean they seem to if they find you they're on you if you see them again they're going to look up in that same tree. So don't be scared to put miles on your feet to get to where you're going either.
0: Well, BJ, let me, there, there's a lot here to, as Angie would say, to unpack. And, and this is a, an interesting topic that, uh, I'm excited to talk about Just because there's so much to it. You know, they have that success kind of later on post rut later in the season when really just a lot of guys kind of give up hunting and, you know, they may move over to waterfowl or move over to something else. Um, because you know they've hunted the rut maybe they've already tagged their buck or two or whatever during the rut and now they're just kind of like oh i'm not really too worried about it well a couple things that you've touched on so far just the the amount of high pressure and how like hunting high pressure pieces of public land uh, have really kind of affected the styling of your hunting i guess if you were coming from a mindset and maybe you can talk a little bit about this you know if you have some you know some private land that you had access to that had You know, very little hunting uh, activity on other than yourself, so very little pressure. You know, maybe you would hunt a little bit more during the rut, but just because on the public land that you hunt, so many guys are hunting during the rut, just really walking everywhere, that you're just trying to do observation sits during November, and then you're focusing on going in and killing these, you know, upper echelon bigger bucks post-rut, in december or even into january when most of these other guys are just completely out of the woods and that less there's less pressure on these bucks at that time but they're still back in that security cover
1: uh, one of the biggest things too is is the times you hunt every everybody goes in they're going to hunt mornings they're going to hunt evenings now me i'll go in mornings but i'm going to sit till two o'clock and your prime time is going to be ten to two i mean and where i hunt there is pretty much road access all around different areas. So you can hear people leaving. And, and it's, it's like the deer respond to and know when most of the pressure is leaving the woods. So most of the hunters will freeze out by, or well, I can't say that in Arkansas, sometimes it's 80 degrees, but most of the hunters are out of the woods. I say 10 o'clock. So the prime set is if you if you can set it, set till two o'clock. Most of my movement is from 10 to two o'clock. It's just, you got to have, you know, got to be able to sit the late sits. You don't, you don't just go in and you hunt morning and evening. If you can pull all day, I mean, a lot of people hunt, all day hunt, all day sits during the rut because, you know, movement's there all day. But don't let that steer you away from it in late season. I mean, there's a lot of days I'll pull all day sits. But the prime movement is usually from ten to two. I mean, like I said, there's access all the way around, and it's so pressured. It's like the deer know. I mean, you can look, you can hear, you can hear vehicles driving down the dirt roads, and it, it just seems to me like the deer have, you know, deer are smarter than people give them credit for. The uh, it's like the deer will hear it, and they know when pressure's coming, when pressure's leaving. I see deer in the mornings, but the most big buck movement I see is from 10 to 2. So, I mean, you just got to be able to
2: stick it out. So, you're big on observation sets in the month of November when when the rut's happening. Uh, I guess I got kind of two quick questions. One is, uh, when would you say the peak rut is for your area? Because I know there's some, some variation uh, throughout the state uh, of when that is. Um, and then also, could you... Um, just again like describe the habitat of where you're at where, uh, where you're hunting because I'm trying to get a picture in my head of, of kind of what these observation sets look like you know like uh, if you're going in to try to look at something you know where are you setting up like what is what are you trying to see what are your goals uh, that kind of stuff. I would
1: say peak rut around here I'm going to say falls in somewhere November 12th through November 19th somewhere in there I do have, uh, have a couple deer on the wall from November 15th and basically where I said it, it's a lot of there's a lot of open hardwoods there's a um, very few which y'all probably have a lot of y'all got a lot of pines and stuff in Alabama don't you oh yeah
2: oh yeah yeah
1: yeah see that that's kind of scarce around here I, I steer away from pines there's you know here is the pine thickets there's really no no food under them I mean it's just flat I mean No sun gets to the ground. Nothing grows. If you find, you can find trails going, you know, through them. But and when I say pine thickets here, they're maybe a hundred yard circle. They're they're nothing huge. I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot of pines. It's a basically hardwoods and like sage grass. There's a lot of sage grass. A lot of field edges. Grown up sage. I really like grown up sage. When I do observe sets, I'll sit at the edge of a grown up sage field on something you know, just through the years where I have seen deer, I will sit and observe. Now, I talked to uh, Jacob a while back, and I told him, you know, where I hunt, they do a lot of controlled burns, and a lot of tracking my deer in this area is a controlled burn in three or four years. I'm sure y'all seen it. You go in, and it's a thick mess. Uh, You can't even hardly walk through it, and so if I can get on a sage field where I know a controlled burn has been and just watch wood line, you know, just kind of watch during the rut where things are coming in and out of. Now, that being said, a buck can run, no telling how far during the rut. I mean, miles, miles. That that deer ain't always gonna be there. I will set it a couple times and if I'm seeing that deer multiple times, then I'll pursue it and see what I can come up with. It don't, it, it ain't always successful, but, more times than none if you're sitting that buck there towards the end I would say the end of rut, towards the end of November that buck's going to stay around that area um, there is a big area that is you you can't hunt where I hunt that's you you can't hunt it which seems to be a lot of the people that come in that hunt this land, they want to hunt the edge of this area because there has been known to be giant deer in this area and there is i mean people get caught up there and you know get in trouble (laughs) for that steer clear of that Just everybody flocks to i'm hunting the center where like nobody goes i mean they're all trying to pressurize this one area and by i say this one area i'm not saying it's like a hundred acre area it's about three or four thousand acres that can't be hunted just steer clear everybody wants to surround that area to me i'm off in the center of where everything's getting pushed out to to the thick nasty mess and for some reason where i'm hunting when them deer get pushed out it seems they stay there if you can observe them late november it seems they stay in that area until. Say the woods clear out. Uh, I guess it would really about December's when most people, the woods will be cut in half. I mean, half the people will be out there. But them deer seem to stay there. The third December, uh, I was on one last year. I ended up seeing him January 17th, was, was the last time I seen him. But it's like they stick it out through deer season before they go back to where they came from due to pressure and. I talked to Jacob about that one area is, everybody flocks to, I mean, if you try to hunt that area, you're, you're gonna go in, you're gonna set up, you're gonna see three or four flashlights out of your deer stand. I try to steer clear, I'm gonna to try to sit on a sage field. The biggest sage field I can find in an area where I'm hunting, observe the thick, and if I see that deer to the end of November, I'm going to that thick to find where to hunt December? I'm going in there. I'm gonna find the feed trees. I'm gonna, you know, find where where the least sign of people is. Find the feed trees around it. Find the trails through there. I don't. I don't hunt rubs. I don't hunt scrapes. I mean, tracks is probably. I would say one of my better signs. Bigger tracks. I mean, a big buck can rub a little tree. I mean, I've seen I've seen little bucks rub big trees. Now a giant tree, yeah, it's going to be a big buck, 90% of the time. But you can't play all your sign off of off a of rub, off a of ground scrape. Uh, tracks seem to be a better sign for me. I mean, a big track, you can tell when it's a big buck track. Just you see where they're where they're coming to and from, and usually they're not going to go far from where I seen them from the observed set because of the
2: pressure. So that's actually one thing I was going to get into there was, uh, the sign aspect. Cause, uh, as you were explaining that kind of another, like what if that kind of pops into my mind is, well, when you're doing this, what if you, uh, don't find a buck through your observation sets and you got to resort to go into that on the ground sign to, uh, to find one. Uh, and it sounds like tracks are kind of the main thing. Can you kind of dive into what you look for in a track? I mean, size and everything, uh, any any specific features of a track that, that stand out for you, or or uh, being able con, to consistently find it, or anything like that?
1: Well, you know, usually pretty close to hand hand size, and I guess you would see the, I guess you would call them the dew claws, the on the back. Usually, usually that'll play into heavy deer. I would say dang, i probably close to hand size with the dew claws, and uh, another. Another big thing in the in the rut, like you know, is, is creek crossings. Creek crossings play a big role. I do I do hunt some creek crossings, and a lot of a lot of river bottom lands will be grown up and nasty during the rut. Much that the deer is going to run parallel with the creek, ninety percent of the time, from what I've seen, due to you know scent, scent checking trails, but Main trails on a river crossing, if you can find a creek or a river crossing, you can usually find the big tracks in that. Um, if you can find a creek that's running where you're thinking they're bedding, look for the tracks crossing the creek and where to go from there. So if you, we have, uh, it, it's, um, I would say swampy land and all that is, is where, a lot of it is where it's thick, the swampy land. The tracks into the thick, nasty bedding area Coming from a creek crossing is where where I find most tracks. It's coming from a creek crossing up to where I think it's going to be, or try to find some kind of wetland to see to see what you can see. I mean, scrapes are always a good sign. Don't get me wrong. Uh, a scrape with a big track in it will tell me a lot. You can't ever you know pinpoint a deer. I mean, a lot of it is a hope and a prayer when you're in a tree you can find the area but you don't know if they're going to walk by your stand this year i was i was on three big ones i mean and i found them i was on them and it come down to the land the area's closing for a long period of time and me never getting on them i mean that's part of hunting and i found them by observe sets and ridge little ridge tops with thickets on each side is like my go-to if you can find a creek crossing out of a out of a bottom up to a, through a thick nasty underbrush ridge tops little bitty I'm not saying like big giant it's like little knolls pretty much with a thicken on each side a main trail across the top if you can find something like that with some big deer tracks in it it always seemed to pay off but also don't go I mean make it a multiple day a scouting event where you're going to see that that deer is running back and forth down that trail not go in and see a big buck track and think he's there it's it's more or less a multiple day event of scouting this area to find out how often that deer is coming down that trail
0: now BJ let me ask this when you're talking about scouting and you're talking about you know post rut hunting you know, like you said, whether or not you get an observation of a of a lay eyes on a buck uh, before you go in, kind of post to, to target him and kill him. Um, you know, how, how do you what do you mean by multi day scouting to provide the evidence that you know he's coming across that you know more times than not than just you know, a single time, you're just cutting tracks one time. Like, what does that look like multi-day scouting and how do you use that knowledge to your advantage when we're talking post rut hunting?
1: Uh, feet on the ground. I mean, I'll do my observed set and I will put feet on the ground after my observed set. Um, I'll usually put feet on the ground, you know, when I'm coming out after my morning hunt in November, I, I will, I will walk, I will, I will walk miles and I will, if, if I do find tracks, it's going to be basically I'm going to focus. I, I, I will mark it on my map where I found them then the next couple of times I'm in there I'm going to go back to the spot and observe the trail where I found them the area you know I, I I'll make I'll say about what I can at 50 to 100 yards off of that trail through the woods scouting that being said you also got to watch what you do not to bump that deer You can go 50 to 100 yards off the trail, scout, look for, you know, look for tracks and all that. When I'm going to do most of the walking is when I know it's going to be a rainy day and everything. When I'm going to walk to where I think I I would have an opportunity to bump that deer. Does that make sense to y'all?
0: Yeah, you're almost, are you, are you talking about, you're trying to almost do like a bumping up where you, you, you're you trying to lay a visual on him going through that thick cover to confirm that he's in there, not just by tracks, but actually laying eyes on that deer potentially.
1: Potentially trying to lay eyes on him, but you don't, I will not steer too far away from where I done found that track unless I know it's going to be a rainy day or windy, or possibly a windy day, if, if you can play the wind in your favor. Technically, your only hope there though is you see the direction of the way that deer's moving, you don't know if he's moving morning, evening, because all your sins are tracked. If you can lay eyes, my hope and prayer is to lay eyes on the deer. I don't want to bump the deer. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find the best way to explain it without bumping the deer, but you're, you're a windy day, a uh, 15 to 20 mile an hour wind in your face as you're walking, don't walk like you ain't got no sense walking through the woods take a couple steps, pull up your binoculars, look around. I mean, don't just go trampling through the woods. You go trampling through the woods, you're, you're gonna be on him before you know it, you're gonna bump if he's gone. I have bumped him and I have seen him back there, but more times than not, I've bumped him and never seen him in that spot again. So if you're gonna go off the trail and into where you, you think he's coming from, make sure you got the right weather. I mean, rain's gonna help wash your scent away. The wind is just gonna be in your face and that's, that's gonna help you, you least, least amount of noise and all that. And uh, it's just gonna help you be able to move quieter. Well, you ain't gonna move quieter, but the deer ain't gonna be able to hear you. If you can find a, a good windy day is one of my best, uh, best scouting days. I mean, I'll set the morning, I'll get down, and I'll scout through midday looking. If if I that, as only if I can't see him off the observed set, I've been pretty fortunate and nowhere to go. But like I said, I've been, I've been hunting this area since I was fourteen or fifteen, so I've been pretty fortunate to learn the area pretty well. Now over the past couple of years, it has changed a lot with the pressure my main goal is to try to lay eyes on the deer without spooking the deer out of the country.
0: Yeah. There's a lot to this. There's a lot to this BJ that I really want to kind of work through. So, uh just, just for, for clarification on RN2, you, you, you're you not trying to bump and dump him. So I made that statement earlier, but that, that's not what you're trying to do. You're not trying to go in, bump him and then come back and hunt where he's bedded at because, you, again, you're worried that, you know, potentially he's just not going to be in that same area again if you bump him really hard. Um, so you're just trying to slip through and just trying to get a visual somehow to be able to get an eye on that deer or on the sign and everything to confirm that he's in the area. But I, I want to get back to this whole postseason aspect. When did you start having success targeting and killing bucks Post rut, well, it's not post-season, I said postseason. Yeah, I was about to say, Andrew, correct me. Come on, dude. Hey, <laughs> I was, I was listen, waiting for my listen, moment. Listen, I, I'm doing this podcast in person. Most likely, I'm gonna get COVID from Andrew because I guarantee he has it right now. He looks pitiful, guys. He's either got the flu, he's got COVID, man. He looks terrible. Yeah. All right, look, looks, look, looks like someone just freaking this. I mean, <laughs> I look I like mean, a homeless person. This is so, someone just like smashed his food in the ground. Okay, at, at lunch, <laughs> you know, third grade. I mean, he just he seems down and out. But anyways, guys, <laughs> that's what I do for the podcast. All right, but. um... <laughs> Back to this episode, though. Uh, BJ, I want to talk about the success that you've had posted. When did it click for you? When did you start trying to do what you're doing now? And how has that progressed over the last few years?
1: I would say uh, late season probably clicked on me, I would say, about seven years ago. I'm going to say roughly seven years ago. I was in the... I was in the woods, you know. I've always hunted the rut, I always, always chased on the rut, and it literally, it clicked by me just, just hunting. I mean, and I, I got into late November, and I started being able to spend more time in the woods. Then I started seeing, I started seeing less traffic in the woods postseason, and then I started researching, you know, trying to figure out what I could find out uh, on postseason hunting then I just had to make like nobody wants to go out and freeze and hunt. And that's one thing I kept in mind. I mean late season is when you're gonna have your cold your your cold weather, your your main cold snaps. Hunting later and later in the year with the cold, I was seeing less and less people, more and more deer movement. Cold deer gotta get on their feet when it's cold. Most of the deer movement I would start seeing after I would say nine o'clock in the morning and um, that's what that's what got me to you know my ten to two. I was always getting out i would say getting out of the stand early i would I was like most hunters i would I would hunt the morning I would hunt the evening. I started hunting hunters if that makes sense about that time is when I started hunting hunting pressure, steering away from pressure. Noticing people didn't like to be out there in the cold, or people came out in the cold. It was people came out for a couple hours and froze out. I wasn't always just like a a hunter that hunted all the time, it was here and there. And when I finally got the time to where I could set it and learn the woods I was in and the people, how they hunted, more of postseason is more of hunting the people and not the hunters, where all the pressure was. During the rut pushed the deer out i started noticing it was pushing the deer out from where everybody hunted to these certain areas in the area i hunted that, that's when i started observing i mean i i went out i said i hunted i would just you know tell my wife i'm i'm going hunting i probably ain't gonna bring nothing back i'm just i'm going to sit and watch i've never been able to run cameras it's one thing because they'll just come up missing so once i got to where i could spend the time in the woods and actually spend time in the woods comfortably and just sit walk observe observe where the hunters observe the hunter's pattern of in and out and once topo once all these uh topographic maps came out is when i guess that's probably about when i started doing more late season i i would say because everybody can study a map Everybody can pull a map up on their phone. Everybody can pull up a saddle here or a good bench here and everything and you start studying the map as you're studying the people. You pull the map up, you study where these people are at. You'll pull a map up and more times than none, you're gonna find a saddle within walking or a good bench or you know something that looks good on a map, you will find close to where these trucks are parked because everybody has access to topo. It's just something you can pull up on your phone as you're walking through the woods or as you're anywhere. So it's it's when I started studying hunters more is when it pushed me to later in the year. By the time late season rolls around, I mean, these deer have been pressured and pushed and they're they're used to people coming in here and they're feeling safe in these certain areas. So if you find out where these hunters are, you know, walking in on their maps. I mean, there's, there's a lot of times I will I will scout a hunter. I mean, I I'll go in, you know, and see where they're hunting and all that, and and play off of that. I mean, a hunter goes in with the wrong wind. I mean, which way would this deer go? I mean, what you know, what looks good from here to me from where this hunter went? I'll, I'll pull up my map more, sitting you know, parked on the side of the road by where a uh, truck's parked to hunt to see what I think he's going into. What you know there is there is food plots in this on this place. Stay away from Stay as far away from those as you can get. Everybody wants to make an easy walk too. I mean, one key thing is don't be scared to put miles on your feet. Um get away. Get deep. I mean get get as far in as you can. That being said, when you kill something in there you, Sometimes it ain't no fun. Don't be scared of the work. I mean, you're, you're passion for hunting. Hunting, it, it, it's fun, but it, it's work. I mean, a lot of it is work. I mean, the work on, you, you know, putting miles on your feet. I mean, dragging a deer out if you kill one, a lot of it is work. I mean, don't be scared of the work that it takes, because it's going to take you more work to hunt. It's going to take you more work to hunt postseason than it's going to during the rut. The rut, you can go set anywhere, no telling if a deer's going to run by you. It's the people that want to go in and hunt uh, that don't have a lot of time. I mean, they're going to hunt the rut. And so, if you put your work in through November of studying the people, studying the land, studying where you think them people are going to hunt, uh, study where, you know, what could happen if this guy was hunting this saddle and he had this this wind and got winded, which way would this deer go? You know, it's basically put a pen to paper uh, i mean and, and study your maps where the people are it's and, and when you walk two or three miles back there i mean or, or plus don't be scared i mean when you get in there like that you're liable to kill a deer if you kill a deer you could spend five hours getting the deer out a lot of people are scared of that and that, that's what you got to be aware of a lot of people hunt by themselves. which that's me. I hunt by myself. But if I kill something, I got to get it out. That being said, a lot of people won't go in that far or, you know, because if they kill something, what are they going to do? Um, they, they want they want easy access close to their truck where they ain't got to put the work in to do it.
2: When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations i might like the all pro that i can get a little bit softer on bottom line there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey you can get 15 off of your order at houndstooth game calls by using the promo code sop24 that's sop24 use that promo code it'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast yeah and this sounds really similar to a lot of uh a lot of other guests that we've had in the past when it just comes to tenacity and you got to have that tenacity to be able to go back there further than other people and you got to be willing to do the work to like you're saying get it out once you actually kill the thing i mean i know that's a big thing here where guys don't hunt a lot of spots because they're like man if i shot one down in there i don't know what i'd ever do to get him out um and and it sounds really similar to other stuff too that that we've experienced here like uh as you're explaining the pressure and kind of getting away from people and everything my mind keeps going back to uh like pockets of deer pockets of deer that's something that we've talked about a whole bunch on the show and it's something that we've we've definitely experienced here like man you get a couple gun hunts going on on some of these wma's we hunt and uh after that third or fourth one they've had a, a good bit of pressure on them all of a sudden they're they are forced into those pockets and it's like it's hard to find deer, but when you find them, you're like really on them and, and they're, you find a lot of deer at once and, and they're just kind of in those little isolated pockets where nobody's getting after them. It's
1: not easy, accessible. The pockets are not going to be where it's easy to go in and get something out either.
2: Absolutely.
1: That's when you get the, you go, you go deeper, you go further, you go, I, I have one spot I go in. It, it, it'll, from the time I get out of my truck and walk, it's an hour and 55 minutes. I mean. If I kill a deer back there, it's no fun. I've killed two back there actually, and it's it, it's no fun. And that's you know, like you said, the gun hunters, they're the same. I mean, they ain't gonna go far. I'm people don't want to work for it. A lot of the hunters want to go out, just sit and kill. They don't want to put the work in. I mean, like I said, the month of November when everybody wants to be in the woods, I'm putting work in studying where all these all these guys are parked. You don't want to say I'm going hunting. And don't go set in a
2: tree stand. Uh, another question I have is when it comes to the cold weather that you were talking about, uh, you know, in Arkansas, y'all are a little bit more north than we are, but uh, you're still not quite up into that, like what I would consider like way north. Like you don't get super crazy temperatures or anything like that. So for you guys down there, what, what are the kind of temperatures that you're looking for that are going to make the deer basically get on their feet where they got to go eat and they got to start moving in that late season time timeframe uh, during daylight?
1: Well, the Saturday before last, or the Sunday before last, I said it was 18 degrees with a 19 mile an hour wind. The I'm gonna say the the cold temps I'm looking at is uh you know 30s, 30s and below for your you know overnight, 50s like a high during the day. That that's kind of the the prime temps around this area. I mean we don't get like you know that belligerent super cold, but if you ever do, usually if you ever do catch a day like you know in the in the teens or whatever that's going to be a better day around here that being said you're set until 10 o'clock before you see a deer on their feet
0: looking at a uh, pressure in the late season how do you uh,
2: look at deer movement and also like mainly buck movement? are they traveling far or are they kind of staying in their home area or what are you looking
0: at in late season pressure compared to deer movement
1: compared to deer movement the, the deer movement I see in late, a late season is usually, I would say, I can't really put it in a, a square block, but they they're more they're more centered where where I'm hunting, they're more centered to a pretty a pretty small area. They, they're pushed out, like I said, they're pushed out during the rut and they they're, they stay there. It seems that they stay there until pretty much all the pressure is gone. I mean once they're pushed out from all the pressure through November, they go to the area where I'm finding them and they stay to a pretty core area. One of the hardest things, you know, is to with no cameras, it's hard to pinpoint movement time. I mean, that's why my best of luck, my best luck is between 10 and two, but I, I can't sit here and tell you that they're going to move at this time. I, I can't, I can't run cameras out there. This is the first year I've ever ran a camera. My best movement in the colder weather or best, I guess, Bigger deer in the colder weather is from 10 to 2. I have seen movement earlier, you know, just kind of depends on the weather. And there was another part of your question that I just completely forgot.
0: Well, it's it's a lot dealing with, again, how that uh, kind of what Thomas was asking, you know, with the drop off of hunting pressure, how does that that core deer movement how does that shift with these bucks and it seems like again they're staying pretty tight to that security cover they've got a food source inside or next to that security cover so they don't have to cover a lot of distance uh to like a massive destination food source like what we were dealing with uh um, up in iowa um so you know that that is something that's kind of interesting it brings up a, a question to me which you know some people are probably listening they're like man he keeps talking you know bj keeps talking a lot about 10 and 2 you know post rut late season and i'm like you know most guys are thinking 10 to 2 during the the rut and pre-rut so I, I gotta have you talk a little bit more about this bj you've, you've got to talk a little about explaining just from your personal experience what you've been finding especially when it comes to midday movement later in the season on these hot food sources uh, and how that's been such a factor for you because again most guys don't think about think about that most guys think hey late season i'm, I'm hunting evenings i'm hunting some kind of destination food source
1: well uh, a deer has to eat six times a day that deer's got to get on its feet and eat. I mean, it, it, you can play it. You can play it off moon phases. You can play whatnot. And uh, when when you're hunting high pressure lands, high pressure areas, that deer cast and all that. Uh, I hate to say it, deer cast. I'm not saying it's bad app. I'm not saying none of it. But high pressure areas, you can throw those out the window. The deer seem to learn the humans. You got to find. Like I, I'm real, real keen on nasty underbrush. Because so the deer, they're gonna to stick to their core area, and if you got nasty under, like nasty grown-up underbrush, and you can get in a tree where you can see kind of down in that underbrush, a deer's got to get up and feed. He's gonna have a he's gonna have a core area, and as, if that deer can stay hid and feel like he stay he can stay hid, he'll be on his feet longer. He'll be on his feet more. That's why you don't just go hop in a, a oak flat and hunt you know, a wide open oak flat. You want the the nasty undergrowth. A deer wants, his movement, he wants to be hit. He wants to be in cover. He wants he wants to feel safe. And if you can find the core area, like a lot of the, the things I look for is undergrowth. I mean, that just seems to be <clears throat> where they run to where I hunt is the nasty undergrowth. It's, they're, they feel safe. They, every, every movement they make they can be in something thick. With the way they, they burn this area off, a lot of times they burn all the undergrowth and you got big, you got big standing oaks. I mean, yeah, you know, some, some oaks drop. One of the key things to find is the oaks that are dropping later. <clears throat> you know, find, find the later drops. I mean, if, if they dropped early, you know, the acorns no good and whatnot. Find the trees that are dropping later, in the thick undergrowth where the deer movement they're going to feel safe when they're on their feet find a pretty decent you know area of undergrowth where a deer can make it its core home range to feel safe from the pressure now will they go back to where they came from later yeah i think deer you know vanish from where i was hunting them the pressure don't immediately leave i mean in november yeah you lose about half but them deer are still they're still scared. They still know all that pressure comes in. They still hear trucks, they, they'll they stick to that nasty cover with a good good feed tree, good, I would say, I would say a lot of briar tickets, you know, oh, honeysuckle tickets, I um, and just with nasty, um, where they can always feel safe in, the, in their core home range. And they're not gonna move, they're not gonna move real far. If you find one in a good nasty, nasty mess, hunt it right, hunt the wind, don't don't bust through the middle of it if, if it takes you walking two hours one way and hunting four days without seeing the deer do it but don't don't bust in on his on his i guess safe haven don't bust in in the middle of it hunt it right hunt the wind i mean make sure your wind's right don't go in on a iffy wind don't don't go in there and bust him out that's a safe place that's where, where he feels like he can get up and move around. When you when you find something like that, he don't got to get up and come out in the open. Uh, that undergrowth, I mean, yeah, you can get up above it. Well, I found luck with it. You can get up above it. You can see down in it. <clears throat> that deer, he feels safe down in it, which it, it's always seemed to pay off for me. I mean, I don't, it looks open when you're up in the tree, but you're looking down in a thick mess. It, it, they'll make it their home range. They'll stick. They'll stay there as long as there's food. I mean, you can lose the food, they're going to venture off. They, they will, once they move there, if there's food and they feel like they can move safely, they not, like I said, they're feeding, deer have to feed, they got to stay warm. They got to feed to stay warm. If he has a safe place, he can feel like he can get up and he can move, then, then he'll, he'll stay there.
2: When it comes to these areas with these big oaks and the and the undergrowth and everything, you're saying you want to get into his core area. Uh, are these are these places that have the oaks and the undergrowth? Is this also a bedding area? Like, are you getting right in on the bedding, or are you kind of more pecking around the edges of it, trying to catch him coming out?
1: Uh, well, that's what I said earlier. You know, I, I hunt. I try to find a knoll and hunt the top of the knoll with the main trail, uh, preferably with stick on both sides i'm i'm pretty much i'm taking the risk it's late season i'm taking the risk but i'm taking the risk with the the right wind i mean i'm the edge of to me it don't seem like a big buck's gonna get up and move too far from that bed. well from my experience they ain't moving very far from that betting area that's that's their safe haven so in december you have to take a risk you got you gotta bump up against the bed. You got if you have the perfect scenario, dive off in a little bit, get to where you think you can get closer. That deer, with the the way the public land works, I mean, you run out of food in that area, you, you could, that's where the observed sets and you kinda gotta play December, kinda like a coin toss. When you run out of food in that area, that deer could move. Know, know your surroundings. Know where that deer can move to. Know where there's more undergrowth i mean if you if you go set and you lose that deer you don't put eyes on it for a little while try moving uh, say try moving 200 yards to the next undergrowth we're i'm lucky to where i hunt they burn a lot so the undergrowth is is there i mean there is there's a bunch of oaks but they they burn different areas every year the burn areas play a big role in a lot of the places I hunt due to I know the undergrowth will be there. Um, but you're, you're hunting feed trees, you're hunting you know browse, you're, you're hunting late season browse. If you get to where you're hunting I would say a few days and you you know you're just kind of seeing here and there or you know a deer here, deer and there, I mean he could have moved. He, he's going to follow the food on top of trying to stay safe. No, know, know somewhere he could go from the area you're hunting to. I mean, it ain't always going to be there. You could lose him. I mean, you could lose the deer. That's why you got to you got to play aggressive in late season. You're you're playing more aggressive in late season. I would have to say to the people that don't want to set ten to two or ten to two, they're going to go in and have to play real aggressive to try to catch that deer on his feet when it's daylight. Ten to two is just. There, there's always some kind of traffic, and I feel like the deer really play off noticing when, a, when when vehicles are on the road, when more vehicles are on the road, and that deer will get up and feed in daylight hours more than not from ten to two rather than getting up, you know, everybody's prime time, which is you know seven eight in the morning. Or but you got to play aggressive on where you sit. The, a lot of late season is being aggressive to the bedding areas, but with somewhere close. To the to the feed tree because normally the bedding area is going to be pretty close to food late season,
0: yeah. It's like BJ, it sounds like it it's a fine line you have to walk. You're, you're walking the fine line of you know having to be aggressive, but like what you mentioned earlier in the episode, not trying to like you just you can't bump the deer, that's what you're kind of getting to. Like, you got to be aggressive, you got to get close to him because he's probably not moving a whole bunch. Now, as in, like, you know, when you're catching him during 10 to 2, clearly you are in that edge of that thicket. And that buck is bedding close enough that he can get up from his de- his midday bed, and probably walk not a very long ways. Uh, if I had to guess, less than probably a couple hundred yards, uh, if not even less than that, uh, to that feed tree, wherever you're hunting, whatever oak or you know feed tree that you're on. Uh, and hit that midday uh, and feel very comfortable doing so in that thick cover. So there's a lot of determining factors there because you got to be aggressive enough to go in and find these areas, but also not so aggressive that you're gonna be blowing these deer out because they have been so pressured this late into the season. Uh, which it brings up some some interesting aspects of of this hunting. To me, this whole aspect of this post rut hunting, um is interesting because it can apply everywhere. Well, whether you're like in like I was just in Iowa, uh, hunting late season muzzler hunt, similar stuff. But instead of our feed trees, was cut cornfields, and you're trying to find the freshest cut cornfield that was the least pressure period that had the best security cover, and that's what I did, and that's how I was able to have success with a nice buck. Um, but you know, it's not like all areas that had that kind of food source had bucks. So like you had to find the one that had the security cover because they had been. I mean, absolutely, I mean, you could say molested for the last uh, three weeks uh, with gun hunters the last uh, two gun seasons, where the guys are coming in, they're doing man drives, they're doing a whole nine yards. So for those deer and those bucks to survive, they've got to get to the thickest, nastiest cover that they could get to. Uh, that was also the closest to a quality food source. And that was the absolute factor for us. So this same mindset can apply in a lot of different areas based off where you're hunting at, which brings up a couple other questions I've got, especially on talking to food sources. Um, I, I want to get to scouting a little bit in just a second, but before I get to that, um, when you're talking about food sources and feed trees, you know, what kind of oaks are you talking about? I mean, do you know, like, you know, again, some of the specific species, I mean, are we talking, you know, of course, white oaks and red oaks, is there any specific species of those different kinds that you're hitting? And also does, um, honey locust or black locust with the pods ever play a factor for you, uh, based off of where you're hunting in Arkansas?
1: No, white oaks, red oaks is basically what I'm hunting. The black locusts, all that don't really play much of a factor where I'm at. and uh. just mainly the white oaks and red oaks and find them which ones are dropping later in the year like i said i mean it was 80 degrees christmas up here i mean you have some that are going to drop later i mean you got them dropping year round you got to find the ones that are dropping later in the year and uh, a key thing to me is also being mobile always being mobile um i don't do nothing where i don't hang and hunt but you got to be quiet don't go in beating your stuff together when you hang and hunt, I can hang a lock on in less than five minutes. But when you're when you're getting at the edge of a bedding area, up close to you know where that deer is going to feed, I, I, it could take me 20, 25 minutes to set because I don't want to make no noise. But be sure you're sitting between the bed and the feed. There is you know there there's some kind of briar browse here, and there uh, the oaks is what plays the big factor here. But wherever you're at, you're going to play off different feed. Like you said just a second ago, I mean you're cut cornfields and all that, you're gonna have different feed wherever you're at. The trick is to hug the bed. Try to position yourself between, you know, the feed and the bed. But hug the bed. But hug the bed safely. Play your wind. Like I said, you know, you may get get in walking a hundred yards from here and you gotta walk two miles from the other way. but. If you want to kill a big buck, you'll do it. You'll put in the work. I mean, a, a, a lot of people can go out and kill, you know, smaller deer, be happy. But if you if you want to put a mature deer on the ground, you really, you got to play off the feed, the wind, and uh, the late season. You you really got to push hard. You're you could you could risk it and blow them out and have to find a whole another deer, and that's a whole nother ball game. You you got to be safe with what you do. I mean. The biggest thing I hunt, though, is is oaks here, light-dropping oaks. That's what plays a big factor up here.
0: So, well, There's a lot of other things, BJ, I want to kind of discuss with this, which I'm just interested about. Um, Take yourself out of your position. Say you you haven't had all this experience in this one place, but you were going to hunt, say, say somewhere else in Arkansas, okay? Maybe similar habitat type, but it's an area you haven't been to before. If you were going to focus on it late season, I I know – you know, a lot of miles on the on your boots. You know, a lot of boots. Uh, you know, bootlegs kind of covering everything. That's that's gonna be you know huge, man. I can't even talk tonight, Jeez, man. Andrew, you might give me the COVID, dude. I can't even talk, dude. Is that, is that a symptom? You can't speak. <laughs> no. Um. So covering a lot of covering a lot of ground is gonna be huge for you, but. When it comes to covering ground, if you're looking for, again, we've already talked about, you know, thick cover and finding that food source in and around that thick cover is going to be a huge factor to finding those big old bucks because that's going to be where they're going to be tucked at, where guys aren't going to want to go because, again, it's thick, nasty cover. And who wants a bow hunt in thick, nasty cover? Most guys want to hunt on some pretty woods where they don't have to worry about walking through that crap. What are some of those factors when it comes, like, if you're going to break down a property and look at maybe mapping out how you're going to want to walk in? I mean, are you following creek drainages and trying to find thick cover around the creek drainages? Or are you be walking ridges? How does that look like if you were going to start on a new property where you didn't have the experience, but maybe it was similar habitat to what you're doing right now?
1: Uh, if I was going to a new property, I would kind of sit down like any any hunter would do. I would First thing I'm going to do is pull up a map. First thing I'm gonna do is pull up the top, folks. I focus I focus more on creek crossings to start with. I live where I live now, but I used to live three and a half hours away by my buddy that's sitting here with me, and it was a it was a whole new learning curve going down there because it, it's a complete different habitat. I have I have a real good spot down there, and it, it's a it's pretty much creek bottoms. I focus on main creek crossings. You know, I go in, I look for trails. I look for trails and deer tracks more than I do anything by putting feet on the ground. When I pull up the maps, I'm going to look for your basic, you know, your saddles, your benches, you know, everything that looks good. That being said, I'm going to look for it knowing that it's public land. And in public land, like I, I said earlier, everybody's got access to that map. Everybody knows what looks good. Then I play off of that. By backing up and thinking, if you got all this pressure, uh, let's say if you got all this pressure in this saddle, how's it? What's the way you can bypass this saddle and not come through this saddle? It's it's going to be a lot rougher usually. I mean, you're going to be in some some rougher territory. But to me, I think a mature buck is going to bypass the saddle. A mature buck will get around that saddle, and I look for thick cover. You know what? What I would consider thick, or what I would consider uh, something people wouldn't go in, something people wouldn't normally hunt. That uh, you know, that's like I tell some people, you know, you wouldn't hunt the rock garden, I hunted, or you, you know, or you would have killed. <clears throat> Just things that that don't look promising, but they could bypass this saddle with the pressure, they could bypass this bench, they could get around it, they could, because they're going to be used on public land, they're going to be used to seeing pressure. And the pressure is going to go to where all the saddles and everything looks good on that map because
0: it's so easy accessible nowadays. Yeah, BJ, I, I agree. I, I think, like you said, like, can I find stuff outside the box uh, and look at it from a little bit different perspective is going to help you find those deer. And also, you know, I guess a couple of things that could play a factor is finding that really, really steep, steep terrain that maybe a lot of guys just don't want to get to uh, and, and find some of that thick cover on that steep terrain or like what you're talking about with the rock gardens. Now, when you said rock gardens, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've dealt with that a lot down here in Alabama. We actually have a family farm and we have a section of the farm that's called the rock garden. It has limestone rock kind of outcroppings all on this huge hillside and it is thick, it's nasty, and if there's a big buck on the property, he's bedded there. Uh, and that's where every big buck that come off this property has came from the rock garden. So can you describe in your terminology, what is a rock garden to you? What does it look like? Just to kind of give listeners an idea, because I know guys are like, what the heck is he talking about when he's talking about a rock garden?
1: Well, here more or less, it's, I, I really don't know what kind of rocks it is, but it's just like, I would say, uh, you know what it looks like? Like you go on a, uh say on the river and they got all the rock jetties and all that. A lot of it is kind of like just bigger rocks, boulders. You know, kind of hard to walk over. But it's, uh, you know, there's still dirt in there, and there's still, like you said, it's a, it's a thicket, like a grown-up thicket on a rock garden. I mean, it's just, it's more like, because there's a, there's a lot of, you know, cliffs and, and rocky areas around here, but nothing huge. But there is a very rocky terrain, and I want to say it's going to be. It looks a lot like. I would say a rock jetty, but just say the terrain will be kind of like a rock jetty or, or some kind of shell. It's, it's going to have grass, moss, you know, and, and it's thick a thick cover on top of it. But it, it's something you wouldn't think. If you was to look at it, you'd be like, why would a deer go through there? I mean, heck, I would say it's almost dangerous to walk through at night. Uh, like a room that that's why I call it a rock garden. It just looks like basically dump trucks went through there and dumped rocks. I mean, people, most people bypass these these rocky terrains, these rocky areas, thinking that you know nothing nothing will move through there. But we'll go, we'll go to this saddle over here because you know it's a, it's easy it's an easy way through these you know these two hills when. You get a mature buck, and he knows that's the easy way, so he will come through the rock garden. I mean, they're they're safe bedding; they're safe. He'll he'll bypass where everything else is going the easy way. He's going to bypass and go a different way. They don't get you know four and a half, six and a half by being stupid. And I've just I've just found success in the rocks. Kind of weird to say you don't hear many people talking about rocks when it comes comes to hunting, but the rocky terrain is like you said, it, it's grown up. It's thick. It's a bunch of big rocks. It's moss. It's <clears throat> usually a lot of briars and briar on these, uh, what I call rock gardens. There's a, there's a lot of briar and briar brows on it.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll do listen, you're, you're the second person. I mean, other than like family members to ever say the term rock garden. So again, you get me all fired up, man. You just, you became that much cooler to me just by saying that phrase. Um, Dude, the, so a rock garden, yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot of listeners that are listening that probably like know, they know exactly what we're talking about. They've hunted hill country uh, in areas that is really rocky because a lot of areas when you have a lot of those rocks, like the tree can't grow very large, um, especially if you have bad storms. So you have a lot more kind of like shrubbier cover or like shorter, nastier, thicker trees. Um, at least in the ones I've been into, especially like the ones on our farm, and it's exactly like that. Again, like you know, it's it's treacherous to walk through it, but the deer go through it all the time. There's great bedding in and around that because they'll bed up against some of those rocks and some of those down trees and everything, and in those briars, and it's it's amazing. You know, again, with those, uh, we have a lot of limestone around here. Y'all probably have limestone. Y'all might have something else. I don't know up there kind of in your part of Arkansas, but um, it's just a lot of limestone outcroppings. It's not bluffs. It's not rock ledges. It's just rocks that like, like you said, looks like they dump, you know, dump truck jump some big old freaking rocks all over the place and it's just thick and nasty all around it. And yeah, those big bucks definitely stick to that stuff and, and travel through the embed in, in the whole nine yards. So uh, that's really cool how that plays a factor for you.
1: A lot of times, they'll, it seems to me they'll bed. I mean, literally, because they're they're safe to one side. Well, I was I say to one side. It's like nothing can get to them from behind, and they're facing forward, and they can see everything around them with these rock gardens. They'll they'll bump. Seems to be like they'll bump right up against them and bed bed more on the edge of the rock garden. But they're in the rock garden, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do it's, you uh,
0: do you find cedars at all in those rock gardens?
1: There uh, there is cedars. Yes.
0: Yeah, well, I bring that up just because that feels like that's like one of the only trees I've ever found that can grow decently in those areas for whatever reason. The root system's kind of crazy, but the 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 one I'm thinking of that's on our farm, it's got a bunch of cedars, and we actually just tracked. uh, My uncle shot a a nice buck down there. christmas eve that we went and tracked and found uh with the dogs and uh while we were tracking i was cut dude we're coming up the hill dude through that stuff and i could smell a buck and i'm like either he's dead up here or i smell a bed and we get up there and we found his bed where he'd been laying and dude he had it worn out up underneath a couple big cedar trees up there in the rock garden he was tucked up and it's a little open spot under the cedars where it's, you know, three, four, five yards wide, but it's thick rock. It's got heavy rock cover in front of him, heavy rock cover behind him, and a thick briar thicket just off the edge. And uh, I mean, clearly that buck or another big buck was using that area. And uh, we found that buck just after that going through that briar thicket. Um, but uh, yeah, those cedars in there is really interesting because, again, it seems like that's the only kind of thing that really can grow in there, uh, especially to any decent size from at least what i found. So uh, th- that's that's super, super interesting.
1: And you bring that up. And uh, I do find a lot of cedars, cedars make good beds. A, a, deer, a deer feels protected because a cedar is so brushy. <clears throat> like the ones I'm talking about, I mean, they're grown up all the way to the ground. And a lot of times I will find beds backed into cedars like that. <clears throat> and the bug beds always seem to be where they feel protected, I'm going to say, everywhere they can't see. You know, they, they got their back up to something. They're up against something. And a lot of times, like like when I said earlier, about when, you know, you're scouting and you're walking, you don't don't tramp trample through the woods. It's kind of strange to say, but a big buck will uh, stay in his bed longer than any other deer. He don't want you to know he's there. I've, I've walked closer to a big buck than I have, I would say, a dope. I mean, it's like he don't. It, it's kind of a, I guess, a fine line to walk. But it seems like he will stay bedded up. He feels protected, and I always seem to notice that he, he's covered on about every side. That that's one of the big, you know, beds I look for. If you look for beds that you will find that are covered on every side and hidden, usually seem to be a, a good buck bed. I've walked closer two big bucks before spooking them than I have any other deer because it's like they don't want to move. It, and, and the beds I found, I mean, I can see why. And they don't want you to know that they're there, that you know, that you're, I guess they don't want you to know that that's their territory. They don't want, they don't want to be seen. So I, you know, I've dang near tripped over a big buck before I say that I came within, you know, 10 yards, but it just surprises me when I, I was scouting and learning and and walking, that I could walk that close to that kind of buck without even jumping out of his bed. Putting feet on the ground, I have done it multiple times.
0: Yeah, and that's something we've actually talked about before. It, it makes you it makes you really wonder how often you know with you walking in the woods, no matter the time of year, but especially like later in the season, you know all the leaves are falling off the trees and everything. you know, how often you walk up and past a mature buck that's bedded there that just never gets up. Cause you know, sometimes you, like you said, you walk past some does, they may blow out there. You, you'll see them, but how often you walk in and there's a mature buck that sees you stays in his bed. And then right at dusk, he decides to get up and go the opposite direction from where you just, you know, where you went into.
1: That's what got me, you know, a couple steps, pull up the binos, look around, really spend time. I mean, you could take two steps and you know, 10 minutes, but spend time scanning when you're scouting because you know like you said no telling how many you walk by and they get up out of their bed they think you walk by they're gone because for to me for some reason it seems like a buck will stay bedded longer than anything a, a mature buck will stay bedded and let you let you do what you're doing and once they get up they're going the other way
0: now, bj I, i've got to ask a couple things about these features uh you know the, the the ticket from everything that you're talking about is finding that thick security cover where you're trying to you're trying to find deer that just are less pressured like they're in an area that's got hunting pressure but you're trying to find these little sanctuaries these little core areas these little hot spots that these bucks or individual buck uh you know kind of lay up and have that food close by with that security cover when you're finding these feed trees and you're going to an area whether you're spot checking it because it's something that you you know you know you know of this spot from years past or what or if you're scouting a new area What about a certain feed tree in the sign that you find around that tree or those trees next to this thick cover or inside the thick cover tells you this is the spot to hunt based off whatever when it comes to potentially, you know, a mature buck being in the area?
1: I look for, I guess you would say nuzzlings where where they've been feeding, you know, kicking the leaves up and all that. And one of the the key things to look for is make sure there's still still food there. Make sure the, the feed tree is still being used. Check for the fresh nuzlings. Check, you know, where the dirt's kicked up, the the leaves and whatnot. But make sure the tree is still, I guess you could say, plentiful. I mean, there's still plenty of food underneath the tree. <clears throat> I mean, don't don't walk in and say, hey, this is a feed tree, and not check that the feed is still there. I mean, you could be wasting your time coming up to a feed tree and the acorns are gone. So your key is to come up to the feed tree, make sure they're using the feed tree, which you can easily tell from the ground, make sure there's still feet on the ground, and also look up in the tree, see if there's still, you know, still stuff falling, still acorns that'll fall, still. Feed trees always seem the best to me because late season deer want carbs. Acorns give them the carbs. But the, the big thing is to know that the feed tree is still producing <clears throat> when you come to it. They're, make sure they're hitting it for one. Make sure it, the trails you can find trails coming into it. Make sure the product is on the ground and make sure there's still some in the tree that will fall on the ground before you spend all your time sitting and hunting that one tree. Make sure there there's some time that you can spend and that that tree's still gonna be dropping.
0: BJ, when you find one of these spots or you know, hunt one of these spots, you know, post rut how many times will you give a spot how many times would you you sit a spot before you totally just get out of there and move to another location
1: you know it it differs it differs from the tree it differs from whether i know there is that deer in there but most of the time i would say on the feed tree you're probably good for about two weeks and find a new spot from my experience that it's about two weeks if i'm not i'll give it two weeks now that being two weeks, I can't hunt every day that two weeks. I'm hunting, you know, what I can get in there. And if I ain't seen him or if I ain't been successful in two weeks, I will try to go to another side. If I, if I know he's still in there, I'll try to go to the other side of the ticket or, you know, somewhere else around the ticket, find feed trees, find other feed trees and try that. Because that deer may not be using that feed tree if he don't feel safe going to that one feed tree. Now, I say give it two weeks because a lot of times I can only hunt the weekend, but I want to have an adequate amount of time in that stand to know that's not where he where he's coming.
0: Yeah. Again, it seems like it's it's all, all about, you know, kind of cause and effect and, and really kind of working your way through because if you're in an area, it, I think it'd be one thing if you're in an area with limited few trees where, again, you may only have a handful of oaks per acreage per like thick cover compared to an area that maybe it's like, you know, we've interviewed like Richard Fott, who's, you know, known for his feed tree kind of hunting tactics, you know, all throughout the season. And, you know, he might be hunting an area where it's thousands of acres of potential feed trees. And it's like, you, you know, you have to weed your way through some sign to find the tree with the hottest sign to be able to hunt on. Uh, so I guess that's a factor kind of where you're at. And just for the listener's perspective, you know, if you're hunting pines, and there's only a few, like there's only a little, you know, little drainages that have some of those oaks in them, um, you know, that would be completely different versus an area that's m- mostly oaks um, and hardwoods that has uh, just a lot of options for features, which of course they're not all going to be dropping late season, but you have to weed through a lot more trees on the map to try to figure out which ones are the one that are dropping and which one of those bucks are hitting, you know, later in the season.
1: Yeah, that that's the thing here. It, like I said earlier, it, it's mainly oaks. I mean, this, this, the, we're not like in Alabama. I mean, there's very few pine or cedar thickets. Uh, for the most part of it, it's oak And for the most part of it, you're gonna have some kind of feed tree that's dropping through the through the post rut. <clears throat> that's, that's still gonna have something and still dropping. Once you, that's like, I look for the feed trees by the nastiness. I mean, by the thickets, by the rock gardens, then play off them. I mean, the thing about where I hunt, there could be a feed tree over here, and other side of the thicket, there's gonna be a feed tree too. So it, it's kinda, they're abundant, it's hard. That, that's why I say put in two weeks, but that's because I may only get four sets or or six sets. I, I won't get as many sets. If, if I could sit there and hunt, like let's just say I hunted it straight, I would, put, I would put probably three full days in that tree. If I don't see him, I'm moving to the next feed tree, tree.
0: Perfect. Well, BJ, uh, dude, we've, we've appreciated the conversation so far. Uh, we're, before we kind of wrap it up, um, is there any kind of final piece of tips, advice, or anything that we maybe haven't covered that you think would be important to mention uh, before we wrap up this episode?
1: Uh, Well, one thing... Uh, I would say, and a lot of people do it, is uh, be controlled, very, uh, it's going to sound pretty dumb right up front, but be controlled with your scent. Like, uh, Watch your scent. That being said, don't use no kind of scent spray. Don't use no kind of scent cover. No, Don't use any kind of cover spray. I know many people, I'm sorry, but a lot of people do it. Y'all may do it, but whatever. But, like, to me, a lot of people use that fresh earth scent. That don't work. I'm... I, I've never had luck with any kind of cover scent other than getting busted. Now that means I'm a real control freak with my my scent control. I mean, I get dressed, get dressed when you get out of the truck, Undress before you get in the truck. I mean, really pay attention to your clothes. Scent is a key factor. Like I said, you don't wanna get busted. Be super quiet hanging your stand. I mean, you may be able to hang it in five minutes, but don't. Be sure you get in there in a you know adequate amount of time where you can get your stand hung and not make any noise. Another thing people do that I, I don't like personally you know, is to go other ways. They'll climb in their tree, and they'll spray down with scent spray. It's where I don't like scent control products or urine. I, I know people have had luck with that stuff, but I don't. I personally would say if I had any advice, is don't use
2: it. All right, just out of uh, like it giving you a false confidence, uh, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it gives you a false confidence of, well, I'm sprayed down, you know, I'm, I'm good. I can I can hunt this if he wins. It's going to give you false confidence. And some of the stuff, like I said, I don't know if y'all use it, who use it, but like that, that nose jammer stuff, I mean, it, it smells like vanilla. That's not natural here. <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff that, I can, you know, I smell from people's scent control, like scent killer stuff. It has a smell. Open the bottom, open the bottle and smell it. You are more than likely to hunt iffy stuff if you got that. Yeah, like, <clears throat> like you said, that false sense of confidence, false sense of hope. I'm like, it's going to work. It's going to help you. You're going to go in like, uh oh, it's you iffy wind, but I think I can make it today. I can make it work. That could cost you your deer.
2: Absolutely. Well, BJ, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, And I I wish you the best of luck with uh, whatever season y'all got left up there in Arkansas.
1: Uh, i probably got about one more weekend I can pull off, and uh, hopefully it pays off. I'll just say that.
0: Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
2: You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a q a format every thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions now some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear but also, how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years. And it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunt buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.